Welcome to the Ask Philip podcast. Today, Philip talks about the future of banking and answers your questions, such as, when should I sell Bitcoin? Should I buy PayPal or Square? Should I own Procter & Gamble? Which car manufacturer should I choose over Tesla? And what are your thoughts on bank stocks? Philip Washington Jr. is a registered investment advisor. Information presented is for educational purposes only and does not intend to make an offer or solicitation for the sale or purchase of any specific securities, investments, or investment strategies. Investments involve risk and, unless otherwise stated, are not guaranteed. Be sure to first consult with a qualified financial advisor and or tax professional before implementing any strategy discussed herein. Past performance is not indicative of future performance. And now... Here's Philip. All right, another episode. So uh, I've had a lot of conversations about investments like the last few weeks, and it feels like every week it's it's I'm having more and more conversations, which is good. I like it. A lot of folks are getting involved in investing, not just in cryptocurrency, like it's stock questions, cryptocurrency questions, right? They, you know, they're they're blending. And I and I'll give a shout out. I, I recently wrote a blog post on LinkedIn, my latest blog post on LinkedIn. So go to LinkedIn, search Philip Washington Jr. You'll see my latest one, investing in 21st century stocks and crypto together in a portfolio, because there'll be a lot of money made and a lot of money lost. And and I talk about how the how this period of time is is very similar to the early 1900s, right? So imagine living in 1800 and the 1900s happened. And you get these things like automobiles, right? You go from horse and buggy to automobiles. And then people start flying in these things called airplanes. And we get TVs, right? Uh, we get radio stations. We get electrifying, like, the, the the homes, right? And so all these technologies happen all at one time. And so human nature is to project the, the, the past onto the future, right? So if you're a horse and buggy owner, you're probably thinking, Oh, these automobile things, they're, you know, they're a fad for these young folks. Put a lot of them out of business, right? And so on and so forth. And so one of the big ways Rockefeller got super large was people underestimated the uses of of oil and gas because it used to be used to light heating lamps. And so he used them for powering homes and automobiles. Really, automobiles was the big one. But that's the world that we live in, right? And I feel like I think I might have said on a previous podcast, I feel like history is going to remember 2020 as like the year ABTC, right? After Bitcoin. Bitcoin didn't start there, but it's it's when the world like just like completely changed because all the trends that were slowly dripping in since the 08 crisis just kind of accelerated. People were forced to embrace technology for business. The businesses that embrace technology and the in the new age thrive the ones that didn't got crushed and are still bleeding out bleeding out aggressively I mean, we're going to see lots of bankruptcies over the next 12 to 18 months i'm i'm sure i mean we're starting to see some now but i'm pretty sure about that with you know without any other big bailouts which, are, which is going to be really hard to to pass to save companies maybe people but but it's going to be tough to do it for companies and so i'm going to spend a little bit of time going over the future of banking and I'm going to spend more podcast episodes talking about like individual stocks that we own, individual stocks that I like, answering questions on stocks and investments that I'm talking one-on-one about versus I'm still going to do financial planning, but I think a lot of folks are been real interested in the like the specific investment ideas and where to look, you know, where to look for investments. And so I, I like to use a framework for everything that I do to have a process versus just guessing. And so 
the theme is networks, right? Networks are the, is the new leverage. Um, in a world overly indebted, to make outsized gains, you need to find the big networks and own companies and assets that are plugged into that network that are going to exponentially grow over time as that network gets bigger and bigger. So the biggest network is money, right? Obviously, money is the biggest network of the world. And so investing in the change of money, which we talk, we're talking about banking, but also that's where Bitcoin fits in as the reserve currency of the new financial system. Energy, right? This is going to be a change in energy as we electrify everything, not just cars, but homes, right? Over the next century, and, and we'll cover some more episodes in more detail on that. And when I say electrify homes, like, there, you know, we use electricity, but what I'm talking about is like smart homes, right? Think of what Tesla's doing with the car, doing all that with the home, you, with the ability to store your own energy and use non-renewable sources that can be stored effectively with uh, the leading company's new technology, which right, it's, already, it's pretty much already invented. Tesla's leading in that, but we'll cover that in a later episode. Retail, that's that's just a continued trend of what Amazon's doing, you know, Facebook doing with the ability to sell to the consumer. And there's Etsy, right? And these are some companies that we own, and we'll talk about that. Transportation, Tesla fits in that as well. And we'll talk about like how Tesla fits into self-driving cars, and they'll take market share from Uber as well down the road. And then healthcare, right? And healthcare is where I'm. I'm just personally like the weakest as far as network, but I do know one of the people that I follow, Kathy Woods Fund. You know, she's big on Teladoc and some other companies. So we'll so we'll talk about that. But I, I leverage other experts on the healthcare side. I mean, that's one of the one of the biggest markets is healthcare that that is just beginning to get disrupted. Some of these have already, actually, the previous four have already begun to get disrupted. Like we're a few years into it, but we're in the early innings. Healthcare hasn't even started, you know, because it's a it's a train wreck. I'm I'm interested in in, in learning more about that getting disrupted. But let's let's go to the future of banking, right? And 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 here's the cool part. So when you look at you know, the the big picture macroeconomic framework, which means like what's the direction of growth and interest rates? Because that drives everything, right? Growth's, growth and inflation drives asset prices. And and I've talked about that over and over on the podcast. And so you know, because the world's indebted, we're in a slow growth world. And we're also in a world where technology is pushing down the cost of living while governments are printing money and manipulating rates to keep them low. And so what that means is we're in a world where lot, there's lots of money printing and low rates, which accelerate, you know, which basically moves money into fast-growing companies that are growing at a faster rate than the money printing, and they can get cheap money because it's artificially kept cheap. And so that that leads the way for, for a lot of this stuff. And where I'm going with it is like banking, right? You know, banks don't do well in a world where they can't like they don't have a big spread between what they're paying in interest and what they're lending money out. So when rates are low, they're not making that much money. And it's just crushing rates. And you can you can actually like I don't want, you can time travel by looking at different countries that are at, at different stages of the economic cycle. So for example, Japan started their depression, right? Their debt deleveraging, which wasn't really your leveraging because their debt like ran up over the period of time. But they they nineteen ninety Right, started their downward trend for the for the economy that we started in, in 08 and accelerated last year, and they've had rates below one percent since like the mid 90s, right? And and what that what that's done, what that's done is 
Man, the cost of real estate, crazily expensive. Tokyo has some of the most expensive real estate in the world, if not the most expensive real estate in the world. And it pushed their investors out to invest in tech and innovation. Um, and so that's why you had, even though the country was doing bad, you had companies like Sony that just killed it in the 90s because when rates are low and you got nothing else to invest in but real estate and innovation. So you can time travel and say, okay, here, you know, it, think of economies like cars, right? Cars all basically like work the same way for the most part as far as like the inside engine. Economies are the same way. So so we know that we're a little bit behind Japan in the economics, but we can see what the next 10, 20 years looks like, right? Same with Europe, right? And China is the furthest behind, um, but they're on the same path. And so, so you say, okay, rates are going to be low. Cool. That's going to crush banks, right? It's going to spur innovation. It's going to allow you to pay more. You're going to, you're going to pay more for growth in this environment because, and this is nerd stuff. And when you calculate the value of a business, you use something called a discounted cash flow. And that's based off the risk-free rate, which is the 10-year U.S. government bond. And so when it's lower, you can pay, you're willing to pay more for growth than when it's higher, right? So that means, so that means in this environment where you have low rates, uh, companies that, that traditionally people think are expensive, like a Tesla or a Square or a Facebook or an Amazon, are actually relatively cheap compared to the growth of the companies over time and them taking market share. So that's kind of one time travel trick. So if we're going to like Japan, let me run different a, a different rate when I value a business. And that opens your eyes to, oh, wait, these things are value traps. So these these stocks over here, these cheap stocks, are actually cheap because they're like <laughs> they're going they're irrelevant and they're going out of business or they're becoming less irrelevant to the economy or they won't go out of business if the government saves them, but they're not going to be good investments. But these over here who look expensive, they're actually not that expensive when you use a different discount rate. But going further into the future of banking, you can look at China where China leapfrogged the U.S. in innovation around banking because they didn't have a big infrastructure of banking institutions as they, you know, rose to wealth over the last 30 years. And so, you know, America has a pretty developed financial system. China, instead of investing the money or having the developed infrastructure for, for banking, they were really forced to use a cheaper option, which was mobile, right? Everybody has cell phones. If I listened to a podcast where... It was a guy talking about an article he wrote where he couldn't even pay for apples on the street um, with cash. He had to use a, you know, mobile digital payments. And so everybody pays for everything using digital wallets in China. And we're, we're behind only because we don't have to, right? You know, it's, it's like, it's like Zoom, right? I, I use Zoom for the last five years. Um, but a lot of people didn't want to do Zoom meetings until the, they were forced to in the pandemic. And now it feels like everybody's like, yeah, I'm definitely doing more Zoom, right? It's a super efficient way to have meetings. And, and again, deflation, right, brings down cost of doing business goes down significantly. Uh, you need less real estate. You use less gas, right? And, and, and so we are accelerating the use of digital wallets today because people found in the pandemic when they couldn't go to different places and pay, like they had to embrace technology, right? They had to, like nobody wanted to hold cash. So they had, to, they had to go, oh, what is this cash app thing? Or what is this Venmo thing? Or what is this Apple Pay, right? And it's a super easy way for you to pay for things without ever needing to have cash. And when you, when you time travel by looking at China, uh, you see that like everything that banks do 
these apps do. So you can buy your insurance, you know, through the app. Uh, you can invest in stocks, bonds, and crypto through the apps. You can borrow money, right, through the apps. Everything you the difference is, you know, you don't need to have this, you know, five hundred thousand million dollar piece of property that you have to go to, right? That that the bank charges you for indirectly or directly by paying you lower rates or offering you few services because they got to pay the overhead of this of this deal, right? You, you need less people, you need less space, and it's convenient to have your bank on a digital phone, right? It's you know it's it's the equivalent of what you know Amazon put fifteen thousand plus retailers out of business, you know because you can just buy on Amazon. Like I you know, I, I buy my you know yard stuff. I mean, I buy everything because I'm like, I don't want to go out. Let me just buy it and, it and it gets there. And so it put lots of come on my phone. It made it convenient. Banking is is like on that death march. And so the the companies that are another another thing on digital banking was this is this is I actually like this. So when we were eating out during the pandemic, you know, you didn't you didn't have menus. And so they had these QR codes that you would scan and you can see the menu there and then you can pay like through Apple Pay the bill without having to touch the menu. And I was like, oh, this is pretty cool, convenient. I don't got to flag the waiter down. You know, I don't have to like wait for a menu. Like we just sit down, look at what we got, order the drinks, the bill, you know, when the bills comes, I get text message or email, pay the bill via Apple Pay. And it was like just way convenient. And you could think if you're a restaurant owner, you know, how, uh, which is an expensive business, how much more efficient, that that makes your operations, and in a time period where growth is slow, and competition is going to really pick up a lot, like the innovators are, are going to embrace technology and deliver a service that's better for uh, the, the person and more profitable for the businesses that get out there ahead of schedule. So this goes back to again, fintech is a part of that because it's part of the payment system, right? And so you so you have the companies that are that are currently like leading the way. You know, I mentioned Venmo, which is a PayPal-owned company, but you also have PayPal, which is you know more of the merchant services for businesses. If you want to invoice somebody, like I, I invoice people for financial planning via PayPal, but Venmo is a, Venmo is a Cash App equivalent. A lot, of, a lot of folks use Cash App to send money, so Venmo is more like Cash App, where you can it's a peer-to-peer uh, money sending uh, platform. But Lending Club's been around for a while, and you just got tons of tons of other ones and, and ones that are coming out. But but you also now have the Coinbase of the world and these other crypto banks that are crypto native that allow you to do everything you can in the in the real world in the virtual world. So you could you can literally like take cash out of the real world, put it onto a crypto bank, right? You can earn more interest on your stablecoin than you will on your dollars in the real world. And stablecoins are like I touched upon them in a, in a previous episode. They don't move like Bitcoin and Ethereum. Like they're backed. You know they're 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 built to where they they're going to track the dollar dollar for dollar, and so you just convert cash over, put it over here, earn interest. You can borrow money, and you know against your crypto in the digital world, and so the game is being changed aggressively in that space, and it's going to destroy banks. The banks are going to try to get on board. You know, like just like Walmart um, and Target uh, and Best Buy. You know, rebranded themselves to at least not get killed, right? They may not be the Amazon, but uh, they didn't get crushed. Um, you're going to have some that adapt, but it's going to crush a lot of like smaller uh, banks with less less resources and are ignoring the convenience of of what of digital wallets. 
and the, the you know when when you look at like so I ran a I, I use a, a subscription to write charts and so I looked at okay what's the market cap of like the financial services industry it's like something like twenty eight trillion dollars right so that's that's a lot of money that's going to be shifting from like inefficient companies to the leaders like PayPal Square right I mean Apple could play the game because they have Apple Pay but I don't know what Tim Cook is doing he's not. <laughs> I don't know what he's doing, you know, but a lot of money will shift from there to the winners of of that space. And again, full disclosure, we own Apple Square, not Apple, we own PayPal, Square, Tesla, some, you know, some of the companies that we talk about, you know, we own in our Stonehill macro opportunity strategy, which is a strategy for uh, accredited investors. But there's lots of opportunity like in that space in the U.S. And there's tons outside. I mean, every, you know, Europe has their own versions of Venmo. PayPal is pretty international. China has their own versions too, Alipay, WeChat, which also integrates payments. Right. By the way, do not be shocked when Facebook gets into the, into payments because it it just makes sense because it's an ecosystem for faith. It would be super convenient if I'm on Facebook and I see the ad for Adidas that I like and I can just like buy it through Facebook Pay on Facebook while I'm there. And have it like shipped to my house somehow or whatever. Like that would be very convenient. I don't have to get off Facebook. I can stay watching. And when I say Facebook, I'm talking Instagram because depending on, you know, depending on your demo, you know, you might hang out in different places on the Facebook ecosystem. But if I'm watching fight, you know, boxing videos on Instagram, you know, I love to just be able to buy the gloves or stuff that I want and not leave it and then stay being entertained when I'm when I'm watching my videos. So that's that is the future of banking. I'm going to answer a couple of questions that I answered one on one this week. But if you're watching live right now, please stop, share it, so we can get more views, make people know about the podcast more. If you're listening to the podcast later on when it's when it's edited and up on Apple Podcast or Spotify, please subscribe if you haven't subscribed. Like it, give me a review. It helps reach more people. But let's get into the questions part, the Q and A part. So. I got to ask these questions this week. Hey, Philip, when should I sell Bitcoin? And so a lot of people are buying Bitcoin and because they, they for whatever reason, think it's a good investment uh, at the moment. But they're like, hey, how do I know, you know, how do I know when to sell? And that's a case by case basis. But the but let me let me let me kind of talk to you about how a lot of Bitcoin owners are thinking about it, because. If you think Bitcoin will be the new reserve asset for the the world reserve currency, then then you want to think about it more like people who own real estate owners. So real estate families that have tons of money in real estate, they actually buy the real estate and never really sell it. You know, if they if they want to take money out, they'll just borrow it, right? Take money out to buy a home or to invest in a new property or a new business. They'll just borrow on the equity of their real estate. I mean, that's what that's that's what Trump does. That's why he doesn't his taxes are so low. They just say, hey, this is this is growing at a higher rate than what I can borrow the money for over time. I'll just borrow the money and I'll just pay the, you know, pay the loan back and the money that I make. And so a lot of people who own Bitcoin are just never going to sell, right? It, they'll be like the real estate families and just own it. But outside of that, you know, it, it, there'll be a point where the growth rate of Bitcoin slows down because it's appreciated as the it's taking a lot of market share from the current reserve asset, which is the U.S. dollar. And that might not be for 50 years, right? But at some point, the growth rate will slow down. And then you'll say, all right, cool. Like these other investment opportunities look like they're going to grow higher than the Bitcoin. So I'm willing to 
sold my Bitcoin and invest in that, you know, or like, or like, again, like the real estate families do. I'll just borrow money and invest in the other opportunities that I think that I want to invest in. Because Bitcoin, when you go, when you, again, if you have the thesis that I have that it's going to be the global reserve asset for world money, you know, then it's going to be like the best collateral you can have. So you're going to have con- con- banks or lending institutions or digital digital banks begging to give you money against your Bitcoin. And so you'll have you'll have options. So short answer is you probably are never going to sell it. <laughs> you know, if, if 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 you're a true believer. And and here's a side note. I actually talked to a guy. It's it's, it's funny the same thing happens over and over again, right? So you have you have stock traders who have been trading stocks for years and then, and when you look at the math they you know they would have done better by just figuring out you know figuring out where the future was headed investing appropriately and then holding their money they wouldn't have paid capital gains tax and they would have definitely made a lot more money so that so by the way like most investors don't even beat the benchmark S&P 500 when they trade over the long term they might beat it one year two years but over a market cycle like they don't even beat the S&P 500 but if you really want to say hey let me take my risk up Right, and you said, okay, these people really have foresight. If they just like bought Amazon, Apple, Google, Facebook over the last ten years and just held it, they would have smoked the returns of anybody who was trading. Right, even the hedge fund people, because the hedge fund folks didn't beat S and P five hundred. But look up the returns of Apple, Amazon, Facebook, Google, that portfolio, the Fang stocks that have been a Fang for a while for the last five, seven years. Right, and like. You would have gotten that return if you bought and held those disruptors. If you'd have just bought and held and not sold, you'd have got the return. Plus, you wouldn't pay taxes, right? So, because when you trade, you got to pay the you got to pay taxes, and you got since you're doing short term, you're going to pay ordinary income tax, like regular income tax. And so it's so where I'm going with this is he told me he said, hey, yeah, man, I I, I day trade Bitcoin. I say, bro, wait, what? You know, he said, "Yeah, I day trade Bitcoin because he was going to invest in real estate and and decided to day trade Bitcoin because he bought some early, which was smart." And I was like, "Well, you know, why would you trade it? It's growing at like two hundred percent a year. Right? It doesn't mean it's going to grow at two hundred percent a year moving forward. But the point is, like, it is, it is like probably going to be the asset that performs the most over the next five years. Why are you, you know, why are you trading? Just like, don't pay the tax and sit on it." And he was like, "Well, yeah, I used to make six figures, and last three months." The last three months, I, I made six figures for the first time in my Bitcoin trading. And and here's one thing: like that trick works on people who don't manage money, <laughs> but it don't work because I, you know, like I understand the game. So I, so I said, I say, oh, okay, but you probably started with a, a pretty high balance, right? And he was like, he's like, yeah, like you you, you should have saw his eyes. He's like, damn, he got me, right? Because I'm like, most people be like, oh, I'm impressed that you made 100 grams. Like, yeah, but. I've been doing this for 14 years, and I listen to people when they tell me that, and I can look at their and I can look at the broker statement, and I say, "Oh, okay, yeah, but like, you made 100 grand, but you started with like, because the last three months Bitcoin doubled from the beginning of the year, and so I'm like, okay, if you started with 100 grand and you made 100 grand, and 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 him having, you know, somebody having a 100 grand 401k or IRA or account is like super normal. So I, people will say, "Hey, Phil, I made, you know, you know, X amount of dollars," and I'm like, I'm like, okay, but like. Started with a high number, like, and I, you know, for compliance reasons, I won't go into details. But I mean, there's there's astronomical numbers that I made, you know, f- you know, for a client portfolio last year, but it's because he had a big portfolio. <laughs> you know, what I'm saying he had a lot of money. So if I said, oh, I made this client X, 
Well, I mean, it sounds better if I say the dollar amount versus the percent. The percentage was pretty good too, but if I say the dollar amount, because it's it's a neat trick that people that people like will fall for. And so, the point is, right? If you own Bitcoin, you're probably never going to sell it. Definitely shouldn't trade it. Next question: Should I buy PayPal or Square? I got this question after I published that blog post I told you about on LinkedIn, where I talk about the future of finance and mobile banks and and everything. And and my answer was like. Uh, I, you know, we personally own both, but if I had to pick one, and and and, I, and the plan is to increase the allocation to Square, you know, more than PayPal over time is Square. A couple of reasons: the, the valuation um, from our valuation work is better for Square. It ha- it also has more upside. Jack Dorsey, the founder CEO, he has his ear to the street, right? So he's he is on top of everything at a higher level. Than I even understand any percent of people understand in finance with crypto and digital wallets. Like he understands it the most and has a great team, and they're they're executing, they're out executing everybody in space. Apple, right? Think about this. Apple had Apple Pay. Square doesn't even have a hardware device, and most people, you know, most people use Cash App. So Square's built their business better than Apple and PayPal. They don't have a home uh, started behind them. And they don't have a, a hardware device for the peer-to-peer business, right? So, so let me break it down. Square has the business, business, right? The merchant business, which they do have devices for, but peer-to-peer, like Cash App, like they got, they they outgrew Apple Pay. And I have an iPhone, and I use Cash App more than my I use Apple Pay on my iPhone, right? How did that happen? I don't, I don't know, but he's a he's a genius, and he, he understands that part of the business. So. Valuation, leadership, execution. I like Square better, but they're they're they're, they're going to steal more. They're going to steal so much money from the old boring banks. It really doesn't matter. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's like it's like, do I want to own Amazon or Shopify? Both. <laughs> Why? Because they're going to kill so many other uh, retailers in the space. Next question, Philip. Should I own Procter and Gamble? I had a client ask me about it. She's getting into investing. Um, she saw that, you know, a lot of stuff that we use in the house is, 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 is Procter and Gamble materials. But I told her, I said, Hey, listen, so, you know, are they going to be around a hundred years? My bet is probably, yeah. The question you got to ask is, will they grow their cash at a higher rate than the money printing rate? Probably not. Because, you know, I think more Procter and Gamble, AT&T, what's another big boring company? You know, Walmart, those are like bonds. You know what I mean? Like in a world where bonds are paying nothing, like those companies, Coca-Cola, Pepsi, those are like bonds. They're not going to grow much, you know, but they're going to probably give you a consistent dividend over time. The question is, will they grow at a rate and pay the dividend at a rate higher than a money printing rate? I don't think so. So I think it's going to be value destructive over time, meaning if your money doesn't grow at a rate higher than the money printing rate, you're losing purchasing power. And that's the goal of investing. So I'm not a fan of Procter & Gamble. Is it will it be around? Yeah. Do I want to own it as a stock? Nah, not even close. Like it, and 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 I think over time it's going to get market share taken from it from a lot of different smaller companies, right? Because and this is and I'm actually actively doing research on this right now because I I think we're moving into a world so so jobs are getting destroyed, but we're moving into a world where we're going to support more small businesses online, right? So we're going to support mom and pop shops virtually. So I'd much rather buy a t-shirt from my friend who owns Martial Arts Academy 
via his website, which is probably going to be powered by Shopify, right? Or or he does or he sells stuff via Etsy. But I'd rather uh, support and pay forty bucks for that T-shirt than pay ten bucks at Old Navy because it's my homie, right? I like it. Or if Steve is selling a T-shirt for Podcast Mansfield, I'd much rather own and rock that than that. And I think that's going to play out more. If people, you know, get more, start getting side hustles and supplement their income, they're going to start using more of these digital options and, and killing like the the. They're going to start doing toilet tissue. It's already happening. You know, my cousin they have a, a, a wipes line, right? So why do I need? you know, whatever wipes we buy. I can just buy it from my cousin, cousin brand. So they're going to get their market share chipped away at little by little. Next question. Hey, Philip, which car manufacturer should I choose over Tesla? None, <laughs> none. If we're, if we're going to a world of electric cars, nobody's even close to Tesla. It's not even, like there's not even a competition. Right? Tesla started off, Tesla was smart. They started off luxury. So like I want a Tesla over a, BMW or Mercedes, and then, and then they're dri- through innovation. They're driving the car, yeah. Through innovation, everybody running to the industry. They're driving the cost down of electric vehicles to where probably in like five, seven years, it'll be cheaper to buy a Tesla than it is to buy like a Honda, and it's a better vehicle and it uses less gas. I'm talking about an oil, oil and gas vehicle, right? So, so Tesla, like it's not even close from an investment standpoint. You can drive whatever you want to drive, but like once you once you drive a Tesla, it's like an iPhone, right? I I had an iPhone, then I tried to be, you know, cool and not have an iPhone. Then I came back, I'm like, yeah, I'm never leaving an iPhone. It's way better than the alternatives. That's 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 Tesla. Last question. Hey Philip, what are your thoughts on bank stocks? I actually just beat bank stocks up quite a bit. So there's there's literally no bank stock that I would invest in at the moment. A, even the ones that survive, they're just going to survive. They're not probably. They're probably not going to grow at a rate higher than the inflation rate. So I'm all about the new digital mobile banks, the digital wallet space, the companies I talked about before. So that is this episode. I'm about to actually hop into another interview where I'm going to interview BJ Benjamin Van. He's a incubator helping tech entrepreneurs grow their money, minority tech entrepreneurs grow their, grow their businesses here locally in DFW. So y'all have a good day. One of the biggest planning challenges I see for individuals that work at publicly traded companies are planning around their stock base or equity-based compensation. They get stock options, restricted stock, employee stock purchase plans that can majorly affect uh, their tax situation and their balance sheet over time. And the decision-making process around what you do with your stock-based compensation can significantly impact your net worth in a positive or, or even a negative way, way over the long term. And so what I offer to potential new clients is to review your stock-based compensation plan and give my opinion on what you should do, what you should think about, how to put together a strategy around that. It's something that I do on an ongoing basis with existing clients, but I'll offer a no-cost no obligation, one-time consultation on your stock-based compensation plan for anybody who's interested to sign up for a time. Go to my website, stonehillwealthmanagement.com and book a free investment, no cost, no obligation review. Stonehillwealthmanagement.com. If you are interested in having a review of your portfolio or to see how far on track you are with your retirement goals, Philip offers complimentary consults through his company, Stonehill Wealth Management. For more information, log on to stonehillwealthmanagement.com forward slash talk. That's stonehillwealthmanagement.com 
forward slash talk. Philip Washington Jr. is a registered investment advisor. Information presented is for educational purposes only and does not intend to make an offer or solicitation for the sale or purchase of any specific securities, investments, or investment strategies. Investments involve risk and, unless otherwise stated, are not guaranteed. Be sure to first consult with a qualified financial advisor and or tax professional before implementing any strategy discussed herein. Past performance is not indicative of future performance.